Today on Graceful Truth, we continue our series, Know Your Salvation. We're in 2 Peter chapter 1. Join us. salvation, the sufficiency of it, the divine power found in it, the provision found in it, the procurement that you and I are about when it comes to this salvation. It's all about the sufficiency of this salvation that you and I have in Jesus Christ. And it's that sufficiency that we're looking at today here on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Welcome to our broadcast. Our time together today takes us back to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It's there that we catch up with Pastor Steve with a marvelous look at our salvation. Here's Pastor Steve now with this edition of Graceful Truth. Notice that it says His divine power was granted to us. It was something that had to be given to us. We, we couldn't come up with this on our own. It's something outside of ourselves. And Jesus, our Lord, by divine power, generously, continuously gives us this power. It says, He granted to us all, those who were in Christ, to us all things that pertained to life and godliness. It speaks of the, not just the divine power of God here, but also His provision. The provision of our salvation. What did He grant to us? It says, everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything in the original language, guess what it means? Everything. That's what it means. You don't have to be a rocket science. It's pretty simple. I mean, none of us, I think, when we look at our practical lives, would assume that we have everything necessary to life and godliness. I just don't think that's the average thought of the average Christian. I think that we stumble and we fumble around so much. And yet, right here in this, this text, it tells us that we have everything. He's granted to us all things that speaks of our sufficiency in Christ. First of all, relating to life, he says. I mean, life is a, a reality. We go through it every day. We have new life in Christ and everything related to sustaining the life that we have comes to us through Christ. And that's why we believe as a church that the scriptures teach that once you come to Christ, once you're gloriously saved by his grace, that you're, you're, you're secure in your salvation. Because you have everything that pertains to that life. That's why we believe that, that Christians will permanently persevere. That you can't lose your salvation, as some teach. Why? Because you have everything necessary to sustain that life. That's why when you practically look at your life, no matter what struggle you're going through, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what trial or tribulation, I want you to understand this morning that you have everything you need to deal with it in Christ. Because all that you need in life you already have. That's what he says. He's already granted it to us. You have it in fullness. You have it in abundance. Or not just in life, but also it says there in godliness. Everything you, you need to be godly you already have. You don't have to go beg God for something more. 
That word godliness there speaks of reverence and worship. It speaks of active obedience. Everything you need to live the godly life you already have. You don't have to go looking for some ecstatic experience or miracle or wonder and sign, all those things. It's irrelevant. You already have everything you need. You can say you have every spiritual resource to sustain and perfect that eternal life that is in you. And every spiritual resource to manifest that life of a godly lifestyle that's honoring to God. It's all there. It's never a question, beloved, of sufficiency. It's never a question of, did God provide enough for you? The grace that is so powerful to save is equally powerful to sustain. Well, how do you get this? <laughs> Divine power. Look at verse 3. It says, it comes through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. The only way that you're going to receive this kind of power, the only way that that's possible is simply through Christ, through knowing him. We already talked about that word knowledge last week. It means, speaks of a deep Deep knowledge. He's not talking about a superficial knowledge. Oh, yeah, 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 I know about Jesus. See, we're not talking about a superficial knowledge. We're not talking about a knowledge that is simply just an acquaintance kind of a knowledge. What he's saying here is you have to know him in a personal way. Not just some knowledge about the fact that he lived and he died and he rose on the third day. But you have to know him. Remember, in Matthew 7.21, this, this verse that we read sometimes even fearfully, the idea that many will say to me on that day, the Lord says, Lord, Lord, and I will confess unto them, depart from me, I never, ever knew you. And they make a petition, they say, but Lord, we preached in your name. We did many miracles in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I never knew you. In the Old Testament, scriptures tell us that that word knowledge is used when Cain knew his wife. Intimate knowledge. And she bore a child. Or that Joseph was surprised when Mary was pregnant because he hadn't known her yet. He's talking about intimacy. And so this procurement of this salvation, this sufficiency, comes through the knowledge of him. It means an intimate relationship that a person can have with Christ by faith, by truly knowing Christ in the sense of an intimate communion. See, we're not talking about religion here. We're not talking about coming to church. We're not talking about praying before your meal. That, that's all religious stuff and all that's good. But we're talking about an intimate relationship that's so much more than that. And when someone comes to the true knowledge of who Christ is, he receives the power of God through Christ, which brings into his life every spiritual provision his life could ever need to be sustained and live a life that would be pleasing to God. Well, you say, well, how does this knowledge happen? How does it take place? It happens when you understand that Jesus lived and he died as a human in, as God in human flesh, 
When I understand that he died for my sin, when I understand that he rose again on the third day, when I understand that he is the Lord of all, and when I come to him and I say, Lord, you know what? I believe in you. I turn from my sin and I give you my life to follow. I, I follow you with my life in obedience as my Lord. See, that's that true knowledge that involves sacrifice, that involves humility, that involves brokenness. And it's through that true knowledge, that's when God grants us this power that we're talking about that makes us sufficient. When you're born into the family of God, you're born sufficient and self-contained. Nothing new is going to be added to that. The Bible says that you're a new what? Creation. I mean, sure, you need to grow, you need to mature in your faith, but all the resources are there. My God shall supply all your need. How will he do it? According to his riches in Christ Jesus. See, by means of Christ Jesus, you have all your needs already supplied. Personal knowledge of Jesus Christ is how you obtain that. Well, there's a couple things that you need to understand about this knowledge. Unless you walk out of here thinking, okay, I'm just going to try to get this on my own. First of all, it's a knowledge that God initiates. God initiates it. It says there, through the knowledge of him in 1 Peter, or 2 Peter uh, 1, 3, through the knowledge of him who called to us. God initiated. God's call comprises of two Phases, two aspects, you might say. First of all, there's a general call and there's an effectual call. What's the, the general call? The general call is basically the proclamation of the gospel. When you go out and you proclaim the gospel of Christ, it's a call which urges sinner to come to Christ for salvation. That's a general call. Well, what's that message contain? We're commanded to proclaim this message of the gospel with authority. And first of all, it's a story of historical occurrences. It's a historical proclamation. The idea that Christ died, he lived, he died, he was buried, and he rose, 1 Corinthians 15. It's also an authoritative interpretation of those events. It's, in other words, you're, you're kind of making a theological evaluation. The fact that Christ died for our sins, what does that mean? That's part of the gospel message. But I want you to hear this too. It's an offer of salvation to whosoever will. Whosoever will. It's a summons. The idea that you repent and you believe. That's the general call. The call that's to be freely and universally offered. In Matthew 18, Jesus came up and said, Full authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go then and make disciples of all nations. Well, how is the general call different from the effectual call? The effectual call results always in salvation. Look at verse 3. It's, it comes through the true knowledge of him who called us, it says. So you can't come to this kind of knowledge unless God, what? Calls you. It's impossible. That's the, you might say, the sovereign side. That's God's side of the issue. Well, how does God call you? How does he do that? John 16 says the Holy Spirit begins to convict us of our sin. So first of all, you see your sin. And then... That power of Satan on your life is broken. You begin to see the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's God drawing you to himself. He shows you your need of a savior. 
The only way that this kind of knowledge can be obtained is through the true knowledge of Christ. This kind of sufficiency through the true knowledge of Christ. And the only way you can have true knowledge is if God calls you and grants this to you. Jesus put it this way in the New Testament. He says, no man comes unto me except the what? The Father draws him. The Father draws him. See, that's all God's part. God is effectually calling those who he's chosen even before the world began. And you say, well, if God's got it all wrapped up, then what do I got to do anything for? Because he leaves a part for you, beloved. He works through the volition of man somehow. What's your part? Look again at verse 3. It says, true knowledge starts when we're called, but notice it says, that call is affected toward us by his glory and excellence. I mean, I don't know about you, but I just didn't wake up one day and say, yeah, I think I'll become a Christian today. Sounds like a good idea. No, it didn't happen that way at all. God worked through other people. They shared the gospel with me. I pondered the gospel, went back and forth on it, just kind of, you know, there was, there was part of my intellect involved. There's part of my emotion involved. I just didn't get out of bed and say, I feel the Spirit's drawing me to Christ. It didn't happen that way. What, what caused me to understand that I was in need of a Savior was when I saw the, 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 the glory and the excellence of Christ next to my sinful self. And I realized, wow, I am not adequate. I am not sufficient enough to deal with my sin. I can go to church from now till the day I die. That's not going to deal with my sin. That's not going to grant me forgiveness. So God opened my eyes to the gospel. And there was a night when I heard the gospel over and over and over again over dinner. And finally, it's like God turned the switch on. And I said, well, here in Romans, if it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, I guess that means me too. <laughs> And you don't know how hard that was for me to come to that point. And yet God granted me that ability. What caused me to seek a true knowledge of Christ was when I saw the wickedness and the vileness of my own sin, how much it fell short, and then I saw the glory of Christ. See, God calls, but that calling becomes effectual when we are drawn by the glory and excellence of Christ. Somehow he weaves those things together. That's the only way that we can have this kind of knowledge. That's the only way we can have this kind of sufficiency in our salvation. When you look through the, the, the Gospel of John, that's why it's, it's good when you have somebody who's seeking after Christ. Have them read through the Gospel of John because John basically presents Christ. He presents the miracles of Christ. Miracle after miracle after miracle. What is he doing? He's, he's showing the power of Christ, the excellency of Christ. And he tells us all the way at the end of the Gospel of John, he says, these things are written that you might what? Why did he write the Gospel of John? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life through his name. See, when you exalt the name of Christ, it can draw people to him. You have to see the glory of Christ. You have to see the excellence of Christ. All glory belongs to God. Romans 10 says that 
No man comes to faith except by hearing about Christ. And the first thing you need to hear about is his glory, that he's God. What do you preach to people? What do you share with those who are lost? You share the glory of Christ. The fact that he gloriously saved you. That your sins are forgiven. They're no longer counted against you. Not because of you and your religion, but because of, of God granting that to you. What also tells us here, his divine power is granted to, to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And it comes through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. But then it says this in verse 4, which is really neat. It says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. His precious and very great promises. So that we have become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Power gives provision which is obtained, procured, and it leads to promises. His glory, his excellence, is not only what attracts us, but his glory as God and his excellence as perfect grants us his precious promises. Precious and magnificent promises, some translations read. Precious and very great promises. Precious means valuable, honorable, costly, Magnificent or very great means just over the top, the greatest. There's, there's no other promise besides this one. What are the promises of Christ? Well, for one, he says, he that believes in me shall live. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He said, because I live, you can live also. All of those promises are in Christ. And they're available. They're provided for us. Do you have everything? Are you a are you sufficient? In Christ you are, definitely. Notice that word there, partakers, that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Wow. We're partakers of a divine nature? Think on that one. Somehow, the Father God drew us through the attractive glory and excellence of Christ and he gave us all these promises through that true saving knowledge of his son, so that we could partake of his very nature? When you, become, when you come to Christ, you receive everything that you need. It's a one-stop shop mart. It's it. You just go there, that's it. You don't need to go anywhere else. John 1.12 says that you become children of God. Romans 8.9 says that the Spirit of God literally dwells inside you. You possess that divine nature. Galatians 2.20 says that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I, I live, yet not I, but Christ who what? Lives in me. God lives in me? <laughs> Colossians 1.27 speaks of Christ in you. Our, temples are the, our, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That word partaker there is translated oftentimes fellowship. It means to be a sharer or, or partner with somebody. We partake of God's life in us. We're partners in that same life. How can that be? It says at the end of verse 4, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Having escaped 
See, when we come into Christ, we have a, a, a new nature in Christ. The life of God is birthed within you. And you begin to live a life that is pleasing to God. You're a partaker of the divine nature, having already escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That word corruption has the idea of something rotten. Have you ever left something in your refrigerator? Or, you know, one time we went away on vacation and I left something on the countertop and I forgot about it. It was not pretty when I got home. I mean, it was all sorts of stuff growing. The house stunk. It was horrible. Just, it was just rotten to the core. That's that word, corruption. There's no good there. And that's what the Bible said. There's, there's no good in any of us. We'd like to think that we're good people, but we're not. The Bible says our hearts are wicked just right to the core. When God gives us birth through Christ, we have a whole new life. He comes in and he cleans all that, that corruption out. It's gone. It's driven by that word lust. Epithemia, it's evil desire. It's just the desire to do evil. We all have that within us. It's in the world. But he says, you know what? You've escaped it. You've escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. The only way that could happen is through this true knowledge. The only way that could happen is through this supernatural power that's granted to us. We don't save ourselves, beloved. God saves us. Someday we're going to return to glory. We're going to leave these rotting bodies here and we're going to be gone. But it's important, I think, for us to realize that until that time comes... We need to understand how to live our Christian lives in this fallen and sinful world. We have to realize that, you know what, God has called us to a high standard. God has called us to, to live each day to the fullest with joy in our hearts. Knowing that somehow he is working out his purpose and his plan through our lives. And we don't have to grovel around in the dark wondering how we're going to get through another day. Because if we're in Christ, we are sufficient. He has provided for our every need. When you know Jesus, three quick points here to close. Knowing Jesus is really the key to receiving from God. We said that at the beginning when he talked in verse 2. May, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. If you want to receive every, anything from God, you have to come to him on his terms. And his terms are very simple. They're through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no side door. There's no back door. God wants a relationship with you. He wants you to experience his blessings, his forgiveness. But it has to come through knowing Jesus. And if you want to live a victorious Christian life, the only way to do that is through knowing Jesus. It's the only way. You can know all you want about your religion and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? In the end, it's what you do with Christ that counts. And I think knowing Jesus is also key to transformation. Anywhere in the New Testament, when people were transformed by Christ... It was because they came into a knowledge of him that otherwise they did not have. So I pray as we leave here today, I want to ask you simply the simple question. Do you know Christ? Do you know who he is? Do you, do you know that you have that relationship with him? That he's forgiven your sins? He desires to know you in a fuller way. Father, we pray this morning our knowledge of you would increase through the knowledge of your word. You've revealed your word to us and you desire for us to know you better each and every day. So for believers, I pray that we'd make sure that we're taking that Bible off the shelf 
not just on Sundays, but every day of the week. For those here this morning who have yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ, I pray that you would please understand that, that God desires you to be saved. It says that in Scripture. He desires you to come to Him. And I pray that God would call your heart this morning, that you would see your need of a Savior, that you would turn to Him from your sin, ask Him even to help you in your unbelief. So I pray that you would yield your heart to the Savior even this morning. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.